You saw a statement on the screen there just a few moments ago, and it uh, alluded to the idea that uh, we will have trouble in this world. And actually, that verse is from John chapter 16. We're going to be looking at it in detail here in a few minutes. But uh, we had some troubling events over the weekend. And before we dive into today's message, uh, I I would like for you to join me in a word of prayer as we pray for the people of, of Paris, France and uh, all that's gone on there that went on there Friday night. Uh, We here in the United States know all too well uh, about terrorism. And so would you join me as we pray for the people of Paris, France this morning before we dive in. God, you uh, promise us, uh, it is a promise, that uh, in this world we will have trouble. But God, the verse goes on to say, take heart for I have overcome the world. And we watch it day in and day out that there is a battle between good and evil, and God, evil struck in a pretty dramatic way in Paris, France on Friday night. And God, right now in the strong name of Jesus, I just pray that you would be with the people um, who are still living, who have been harmed um, in these tragic events, this terrorism. And God, I pray that you would just uh, lay your hand of healing on them. God, I pray that you would use it for the good of those who are are, uh, in love with you, as your word says. And God, for those who don't love you, God, I pray that it be something that draws them close to you. And God, I pray that you would use these tragic events in, in Paris, God, to lead many people to a place where they trust in you, God. And I understand that that area is um, void of, of much faith in Jesus. And God, I pray that this would be something that would begin the spread of the gospel message, the good news message there in Europe and specifically in Paris. And God, I pray for the families um, who will go through this holiday season um, without a loved one. God, um, missing someone. God, I pray that you would comfort them. God, I pray that you would bring strength and resolve to them. And God, I pray that you would minister to them in ways that um, they can't even imagine. God, and pray for those who are in intense pain right now. God, I pray that you would just uh, bring them comfort and healing as well. Pray for the leaders of not only France and of uh, Europe, God, the European Union. And God, I pray that you would also be with our leaders here in the United States of America. Give them wisdom and discernment. As they are making decisions, God, I pray that you would give them good leadership as they're making decisions that have an impact for us in the future. And God, I pray that you would protect us. God, we thank you for the hope that we ultimately have, that we know the end of the story, that in the end, good will win over evil. And God, we put our hope in you, Jesus, for that. And we're thankful for that hope that we can have. And we pray all this in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We continue there. In 2011, uh, I've told uh, a few stories over the past few weeks, and I wanted you guys to hear some of the stories of how Hilton Head Island Community Church became uh, its church. Up until 2011, we were a multi-site part of Low Country Community Church out in Bluffton, where my, my youth pastor growing up um, uh, is the, the lead pastor there. So some of you guys that are in the student ministry here, 
um, at Hilton Head Island Community Church. This would be like Todd Cooper, you know, and so he was my Todd Cooper. Uh, so anyway, and uh, Jeff was my youth pastor growing up and uh, wanted to, to really have a presence back here on Hilton Head because Low Country had started on Hilton Head. And so uh, he recruited Cynthia and myself. I've told that story many times. But in 2011, um, we made the decision, strategic decision to uh, become our own church. Jeff and I made that, and it was a really good transition. Um, it, it wasn't easy, but it was good as far as the relationship. In fact, they really, um, really rallied around and supported us uh, financially and in many ways uh, beyond what we thought they would, um, even Jeff and I. And so it was an amazing thing. But I remember at that time um, having several different thoughts about being a lead pastor. Number one, when I went into Jeff, or when Jeff called me, called me out to, to talk to me about this in the summer of 2011, and he said, you know, I just really think that it's time um, you guys are financially self-sufficient, you know, um, and, and like, you know, it's just time for you guys to be out on your own and become your own church. And I knew what it took to like start like, you know, a new church business. And I said, well, um, what's, what is your time frame? And in my mind, I was thinking like a year or 18 months. And he goes, well, I think this was July, mind you. Okay. He goes, I think we need to do it before the end of the summer. This summer, right? Like you're talking about 2011. He's like, yeah, yeah, we can get this done like really quick. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. So anyway, um, I, that meant I can get it done really quick. So anyway, and I talked to him. And we're having lunch on, on Wednesday. So I'll share that I told, you know, this story after the fact, of course. So anyway, but uh, anyway, it was a fun little kind of thing with me and Jeff. And so anyway, uh, we became our own church that summer. And one of the things that I remember is, oh my goodness, I, I'm a senior pastor, a lead pastor now, and that comes with a lot more responsibilities than I've ever had before. And what am I going to do? And about that time, I was listening to a leadership podcast by Andy Stanley, and Andy started the, the podcast um, by kind of say, making a statement, something like this. He said, you know, um, lead pastors, it was kind of directed towards lead pastors. He goes, let me tell you something, lead pastors, you're not the smartest person in your organization. <laughs> I'm like... Yep, feeling that right about now. And uh, so he went on to talk about the fact that when they were starting North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia, that uh, Andy looked around and realized that there were a lot of people that were a lot better at a lot of things, and he began putting them in strategic places. And one of the things that he did was, um, as an extension of their leadership team, they started a stewardship team. And finances, uh, as some of you have heard my kind of background and my history with personal finances, finances um, is not my strong suit. And when Andy mentioned that, I thought, man, this is what I, this is what I need. I need people who are smarter than me, wiser than me, um, better planners, have been there before, and that sort of thing, um, as, an, as an extension of our elder board. And so we as an elder team, some of you are here today, we began putting the kind of wheels in process to have a stewardship team. And here we are in 2015, and um, I believe we started that stewardship team in 2013, and it's, you know, it's expanded and grown, and now we have an amazing team of people who here at this church um, provide uh, financial assistance and accountability for our staff, and uh, they, they provide you know, oversight for, for the budget and finances and spending and all that. And it really has been a great thing in terms of our church making sure that we have smart people, not people like me. Like my son is eight years old, and he comes home with math that I do not understand in third grade. So anyway, and I'm really, you know what I just justify it by saying? It, they 
just have a different system than, you know, it's a different math than when I was growing up because I was really better at math than I remember. And uh, so we have a group of people who look at everything and really provide assistance and advisement and accountability um, for our church. And I really believe that that is something that is so important not only in the life of the church, because they have protected us over the years from danger. They've protected us uh, in a few different ways. And um, as we go through and make major decisions in the life of the church, uh, that team of people is so key. But I got thinking about it. That is not just important in the life of an organization. It's important in our own lives to have people that we trust, people that know a little bit more about money than we do, um, people who are a little bit wiser, who have had more experience than us. And, and I got to tell you, that's what Financial Peace University is all about. And one of the things that I'm just so excited about as we gear up to start FPU, Financial Peace University, at the beginning of this year um, is, is that we have a whole group of people. Mary Amanitti, I know she's here somewhere. Um, she has led this. She's right in the back there. She has led this ministry for years kind of by herself. Frank Condor led it for a while, and then she's led it, and she's been by herself. But now she's got a whole team of people who are going to be involved in this. And for those of you who are here, who um, may, you know, may be struggling or may have come in today and you know, you're just kind of like at the end of your rope in terms of your own personal finances. Um, today's message is a message of responsibility plus hope. But my message to you before we even get started is, is find some help. Find some help. You do not, and this is what I realized as a lead pastor of this organization, I don't have to do this on my own. And, and my tendency, some of our tendencies is to kind of like try to do things by ourselves and figure it out alone. You don't have to do it. And this church is blessed with a bunch of people who have gone there before and done that before. And so if you're here today and um, you ha have, have never gone through Financial Peace University, I want to encourage you to do that, not only because the course is great, but also because the people that are going to be helping lead that course and assist in that course are going to be people you may want to put on your own personal board of directors to help guide you in your finances and have that stewardship team like we have here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. By the way, um, we produced a report that's back at guest services. You can take a copy of it. It's just front and back paper. It's just a report on our, our, our spending, our budget over these six months, and what we've done in terms of our missions giving. So if you're the type of person that likes to look at graphs and pie charts, we've got just a little sample. That's just a sample for this six months. We're going to be continuing to build um, uh, just uh, ways for you to take a look at uh, how we as a church spend money so that you know when you invest in the life of Hilton Head Island Community Church, you know that it's going to things that are kingdom-building things. And so I want to encourage you, you can go take a look at that. Today we continue this series uh, called Radical Generosity, and we have described over these past few weeks that there are barriers to, for you and I in terms of generosity. And um, what's really cool, this always happens, by the way, during a, a message series on giving. Like a lot of people decide that they're not going to show up. <laughs> like if I tell them, hey, it's a four-week series, they're going to conveniently plan not to be here. And that's either an indication that they don't give anything at all or they tithe, you know, one of the extremes. Am I right? Like that's what happens. And I've uh, been there before. I remember that feeling when, you know, I was being challenged in my financial obedience to God about, man, I don't know if I want to 
hear this. Um, but I want to thank you and applaud you all for the last couple weeks. You all have stepped up to the plate. I want to thank you so much for your radical generosity to the life of this church because you guys have exceeded that budgetary need both of the last two weeks, and that's an exciting thing. It doesn't make a trend, but it's exciting, and I want to thank you very much for your generosity. But we talked about the last two weeks that sometimes there is the barrier of the ability to give, and that is is when our finances are so overwhelming and we need to change some things in terms of spending and when we need to uh, uh, redo our financial personal plan so that we can give. We need to get rid of some debt so that we can give, and all of those different things are talked about and focused on in Financial Peace University, and we gain the ability to give when we remove the financial barriers that we can control. Um, The second thing that we talked about last week is that um, desire. Sometimes we, we, we may not have the desire to give, and really, if you peel back the layers on that, there's probably a lack of a desire for, for Jesus, um, and, and those go hand in hand. And so we talked about the fact that we gain the ability to give when we remove the financial barriers that we can control, and we gain the desire to give when we choose to make Jesus the center of our lives. Today, we're going to talk about determination. We gain the determination to give by trusting God during financial adversity. Oh boy, we all have experienced that a time or maybe two or 10 in our lives. And so I want to let you know that radical generosity for each of you is going to be a bit different. And so what that means is radical generosity is moving from where you currently are to something greater. And what that means is between you and God. Now, next week, we're going to have a commitment time where you're going to make that tangible, and and I'll talk about that at the end of this message and next week. But today, I want to continue to look at this incredibly generous church, the church in Macedonia, modern-day Greece and Turkey, and I want to take a look at what they did to model a, a level of radical generosity and showed determination even in the midst of some crisis. So take a look at verses one. We're going to read one through seven this morning. If it seems like we keep doing this, we do. We keep coming back to this particular passage. It's a little bit of our springboard passage for this morning. And so let's go to it again as we take a look at this amazing church. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, encouraging them to be generous as well. And he says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. It was a region, not one specific church, region of churches, multiple. And and he says this, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Uh, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You think that Paul might say that they're begging for the favor of having some of the money because they need it, but they're not. They're actually begging for the favor of relieving the saints in Jerusalem, helping out the cause of Christ, the gospel message, and of taking part in the relief of the saints, verse 5. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us accordingly. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything and in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You see, the Macedonian church was determined to give even during financial adversity. 
They were determined to give. Somehow they overcame that challenge of ability. Somehow they, they really dug deep, even though they had been persecuted, which was what was going on. The Roman government came in and persecuted them. And so like their hearts were aligned with God. They had that, that uh, desire for Jesus and for the spread of the gospel, and that drove their giving. But they also were determined to continue this practice of giving. They were determined in this financial adversity to keep going on. And, and so um, you and I um, have the opportunity to show our strength of generosity, not during times of plenty, but we have the opportunity to really demonstrate our faithfulness and generosity during times when things are lean, during times of financial adversity. Um, I want you to raise your hand, um, you know, eyes open on this one. Raise your hand this morning if you've ever gone through financial adversity, like tough times. All right. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you're, you're leading Financial Peace University with Mary in January. See her later. Okay. We all have gone through financial adversity at times in our lives. If you're young here today, you will go through financial adversity. We all have just come out of the Great Recession. In fact, some people believe that like, we're not quite out and that there may be another one to follow. Um, aren't you glad you came to church and heard the good news this morning? Anyway, and that um, like, you know, we've just come out of this, and hopefully we as a country have learned lessons. But here's what happened during the, the financial decline in, in the United States is people began to save money. They began to pay off debts. And you know what happened? As soon as the recession began to end, they began to spend all that money they had saved. And you know what they did? They went right back into debt. And, and so my prayer is, is that we as a church, that me as a Christ follower, that Todd Cullen and Hilton Head Island Community Church can be a people um, who learn to um, really like find this discipline of radical generosity and financial stewardship during the hard times, during the difficult times. Um, Listen, I want you to hear this, and you've heard me talk about this if you've heard me for a while, that um, I get really frustrated with pastors and religious leaders and, well, Christian leaders that say, just, you know, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and your whole life will be totally perfect. That is junk. Uh, I'll put it nicely. It's just junk. That's just, you know, bogus. In fact, Jesus says the opposite. In John 16, 33, we're going to look at this several times. I want you to, to, to see this and, and read it. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. You can say it with me. You may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we're going to use this verse to put together a three-part statement today as we walk through this message that I hope it's a statement that you'll kind of take with you. And if you're young, like if you're a student here, like, you know, your life hasn't like really gotten started, make this statement something that you remember. Put it somewhere that you can remember and refer back to. Because if I had had this statement in my life, if it was a statement that like drove my values in my life when I was younger, um, the tribulation or the financial struggles or the financial hard times that I faced when I was older would have been a lot easier to navigate. And here's what I want you to, to hear this morning, because Jesus never promised that things would be perfect. In fact, we see here, what is his promise? That things would be what? Bad. Like Jesus promised, he told us, 
that you will have trouble. And see, the Christ follower often wants, and we as humans often want, a way out of our trouble. But what he's saying in this verse is that he can lead us through the trouble. And I want you to understand that what Jesus can do for you in your own personal finances, if you came in here today and you are sick of it and you are at the end of it and you are frustrated with it and you're mad at it and you're fearful of it and so on and so forth, that he can lead you through that. He may lead you around of it or he may lead you around parts of it. But at some point in time, we have to Pay our debt. At some point in time, we have to fulfill that obligation. At some point in time, we have to do these things. And Christ, God's strength can lead you through that, not necessarily around it. John 16, says that we will have seasons of financial adversity, that we will have seasons of financial adversity. And that's the first part of this three-part statement, is that we will have seasons of financial adversity. You can make it personal. I will have seasons of financial adversity. And Jesus promises that. But take a look at what he says. The very first thing that he says, in this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. Take heart. That, ver- that word right there that he used literally meant take courage. And in fact, some of you, if you have your Bibles, it may even say take courage there. It's uh, translated a little bit differently depending on the version of the Bible. It literally means to take, I want you to picture this in your mind, to take courage, to take heart, to have peace. And he's giving the idea that peace, don't miss this, is yours for the taking. That's the whole idea of Dave Ramsey's financial peace, is that it is there for the taking. And yes, you need to walk through the specifics of that, and I'm going to give you four ways to do this during financial downtimes, but he says, take heart, take courage. You and I have to take it. There is a a part of this that's our responsibility, and there's a part of this that is God's responsibility. And when we take our part of it, he will take his part of it. A few weeks ago, we were at um, one of these little fall festivals with the kids, and um, Sean and his buddy who was with him wanted to uh, go on the teeter-totter. And so we started doing the whole teeter-totter thing, and I was on one end, and the two of them were on the others. That was fun. And so as we worked together, like I would jump off every once in a while, and they'd go right down. And every once in a while, they'd jump off, and I'd go right down a lot quicker. And so we went back and forth like that, and it's the picture, it's a good picture of what God wants us to do with finances. In fact, any trouble that we have in our lives, look for ways that we can do what we can with the situation and let him have the rest at that point in time. It's a both and, us working together, us and God. Let's continue to build the statement, we will have seasons of financial adversity but we can find peace by being responsible stewards. We can find peace by being responsible stewards. And let me go back for a moment. The idea of stewardship and us being Christ followers, us being God followers, and financially stewarding uh, the money that he's given us goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In 1 Chronicles 29.11, the writer says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory, and the majesty for all. I want you to say that word with me. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours, O Lord. 
Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as the head above all. Listen, we have this idea that all of our possessions and all of our money and our income and the, the, the work that we, that we uh, have to, to earn that income is ours. That's not what Scripture supports. It's God's in the first place. It's his to begin with. And if we start from that premise, then what I'm about ready to explain is so much easier. We will have seasons of financial adversity, but we can find peace by being responsible stewards. Take a look at what Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says. I love this. The writer of Proverbs, most likely Solomon in this case, says this. Go to the ant, oh sluggard. How do you like that? <laughs> like God just called all of us sluggards, right? Go to the ant, oh sluggard. Consider her ways and be what? Wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Have you ever seen an ant stand still? Have you ever seen an ant resting? Like, have you ever seen an ant out on the beach, you know, like with a drink and a, you know, lounge chair? Like, you don't see ants doing that kind of thing, right? Maybe in a cartoon. Um, but ants work hard. They never stop, do they? They toil and labor, and they go and gather, and they bring it in. And that's what the writer of Proverbs says you and I need to do. And this, I believe, is one of four ways that during financial adversity, we can navigate along with God. We're going to talk about that with God part at the end, through the financial adversity. I think that we, we have to understand that we have to find ways as best we can to earn a living. Uh, Proverbs 10, 4, and 5 says this, a slack hand. There we go again, calling us a slackard, okay? So anyway, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in a harvest is a son who brings Shame, And so we can learn first and foremost that our part of stewarding during financial difficult times, financially difficult times, is that we work diligently to be productive. That we work diligently to be productive. I think that so many times, like, we go through periods of time when the income may not be there or the expenses outweigh the income, and we just begin to kind of, like, take a rest why even try? Why even work hard? And, and I believe that what Proverbs is saying there, and if you're on, on our um, website, you can see the rest of the notes. There's a couple other references there that we're not going to get to. But essentially what God is telling us to do is to work diligently to be productive. I, I know people who during the recession went out and got two and three other jobs to earn a, to earn a living. They understood that hard work is part of navigating financially adverse times. So work diligently to be productive. But secondly, the second kind of idea that will help us to, to uh, navigate through financial difficult times comes from a letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. I love this. In Philippians 4, 11, and 12, he says this. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I am to be content. Content. 
I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. That's saying that he had times where things were good and he had time, uh, times when things were bad. But in every in every circumstance, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he learned how to be content. And I love it that the author of Ecclesiastes back in the Old Testament reminds us of this. Don't miss this either. This is great. That when you go through financial seasons that are really down, um, like if your business, if you're a small business owner, isn't producing what you really you know, need or, or you know, what would cover what you believe you need, um, the author of Ecclesiastes says those good and bad days are a gift from God. Look at what he says here. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the days of adversity, consider that God has made the one as well as the other. Isn't that awesome? Wow. That's a stark reminder. It's a good reminder that it all comes from the Lord. I believe that what we can learn in kind of the second way that we um, can financial, financially navigate um, those downtimes is really to adjust our level of contentment. Adjust our level of contentment. Listen, we're not going to be able to do the things that we do um, during downtimes financially as we were before. And so not only do we need to work diligently to be productive, but we also have to adjust our level of contentment. And if you enter the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace Program, you'll realize that like having financial peace for the long haul means that you and I adjust our level of contentment. Listen, this is not easy for me, and I know it's not for some of you. Um, it's just not. But God's word gives us wisdom to live by, and this is part of the wisdom. A third, third thing that I believe that we need to do is really to understand um, that we've got to prepare for adversity. Proverbs 21, 20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. <laughs> like the, um, the financially adverse seasons that you and I go through, that's not the season to spend everything that you've saved up real quickly. It's not the time to like eat all the great food that you've, you know, stored up. It's not the time to go hog wild and just like go out and spend and consume. And I, I wonder if like we just don't adjust our level of contentment, but we don't also understand that like blowing through all that really is going to result in disaster in the end. And Proverbs talks a lot about saving money. In fact, you saw it in that other verse when we talked about a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Look at that next verse, verse 5. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And so the third principle of navigating these financial um, downtimes is that we need to prepare now for adversity later. We need to prepare now for adversity later. So one of the hardest things to do is to set aside a little something for the future. But what a great benefit. What amazing financial peace it is. What an amazing thing to allow us to continue to be generous during those financial times that we have adversity when we put some aside for later. I remember when Cynthia and I went through our crisis and we did two things. Um, one is, is we decided that day, then and there, that we would begin to tithe again. We were like slipping, 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 slipping from, from tithing, 10%, 8%, 5%, you know, and even lower. And we decided then and there that if we were going to be obedient to God, that we would get back up to 10%. We, the first check we wrote is that 10% check, and we haven't looked back. 
for almost a decade now. We haven't looked back. But the other thing that we did is even when things were tight, even when things were tight, we put a little bit of money aside. And Dave Ramsey, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the first lesson in Dave Ramsey in a second, um, is that all of us, no matter where we are, ought to have some kind of emergency fund that we can rely on if things go bad. And Dave Ramsey, what he does is walks you through a place where he says, you know, save $1,000 is the first step towards financial peace. And so we need to save up for the, the proverbial rainy day. Prepare now for future adversity. And then lastly, and we find this back in the verse, we find this principle back in the verse in 2 Corinthians where we see this church in Macedonia is that we need to continue to practice regular giving. Look at verses um, 3 and 4. For they, these Macedonians, even in a, a test of affliction, they gave according to their means. They also gave beyond their means of their own accord. And as we talked about last week, they were begging, asking Paul with enthusiasm to participate in giving. And I'll tell you, I learned a lot about God's faithfulness. When in the midst of our financial crisis, we began tithing, he has taken care of every single need that we've had as a family. It has not been easy. And we've had a few interruptions along the way. A few surprises along the way. But I will tell you that God has provided. And if you walk in obedience, he will provide. In Malachi 3.10, it's the only thing in Scripture he says, test me in this. And so the last point is to continue to practice regular giving. Work to be productive Work to, to, to find ways of earning extra money or, or maybe doing a little bit more. Work diligently to be productive. Uh, uh, find uh, uh, ways to adjust your level of contentment. Uh, prepare now for future adversity. And then lastly, continue to practice regular giving. I believe when we do that, then we understand and we walk in that level of stewardship that we are commanded to all the way back in First Chronicles. You know, John 16, 33, going back to that verse says this, I say these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, you'll have trouble, but take heart, he says. Take heart. Be a good steward. Do the things that make sense. But then he ends with this, I have overcome the world. And so the third part of the statement that we're building, and to close today, is this. We will all have seasons of financial adversity, but we can find peace when being responsible when being responsible stewards and trusting that God, say that next word with me strong, will provide. That he will provide. That he will provide. Paul reminds us in Philippians when he's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, I know how to, how to be brought low. We've already read it. I know how to abound in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and, and hunger, abundance and need. And then in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, it's not just us on our own trying to figure out financially adverse times. And it's not just us going, well, I'm just going to spend like crazy and keep doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to trust God. It's us doing our part, and it's God doing his part. And when we do that, when we do those things, we can understand 
that some of those adverse times can really, really galvanize and anchor us in terms of our determination to give. In fact, that's how I want to leave today. A life of radical generosity happens when you trust God in financial adversity. I've talked about this before, um, that when we had our financial crisis a number of years ago now, um, I remember like sitting down, and every time I would sit down and open up um, that Bank of America account, I would just break out in a cold sweat. Like fear was the foundational emotion that everything was built on for me financially. And I'm not going to tell you that fear subsided real quick after we started to put a game plan together. In fact, in many ways, it got worse because we committed to financially giving to God and we committed to putting some aside, so we had less to work with. It wasn't until I got to the place where I actually trusted God that I was able to let go of that fear. It wasn't until I actually, like in my heart, not my mind, but in my heart, let go of that fear and let go of that nervousness and let go of that anxiety and depression about like what I had done financially to my family and what we had to face over the next few years. And I know that there are some of you here today, and I know that fear is gripping you in this area. And I can promise, because Malachi promises it, because God's word promises that if we do our part and allow God to do his part, that we don't have to fear anymore, that we can really truly let go of the money that we've been entrusted with. And we can let go of the emotions surrounding that. And we can let go of the fear that we might have surrounding that. And God can do amazing things. And the amazing thing might be you walking in obedience and him taking care of your needs. Remember in week one, we linked blessing to need. And I realized coming out of our financial crisis that a need being met by God after we followed in obedience is the greatest financial blessing that he can give. It's not winning the lottery. It's not waking up one day and getting a phone call that your uncle that died three decades ago left you a bag of money somewhere. It's not having the construction worker open up your walls because you're redoing your house and there's a, you know, there's a hidden safe in the wall that the previous owner who's died had left and it's yours now. It's trusting God in the small place of just meeting every single need. He can provide if you trust him. Father God, thank you so much that you're a God who's faithful in the area of finances. And God, I thank you that we, um, we don't have to walk in fear. And God, I'm thankful that we can stand strong on the promise um, that it can be well with us, that it can go well with everything in our lives that you're not going to necessarily take us around the trouble, but you can and you will see us through it if we will walk in obedience and if we will put our faith that you will provide. And God, I thank you that um, the Hilton Head Island Community Church has such a great group of people who provide amazing wisdom in the life of this church. And God, I pray that you 
would lead those who are here today to a place of seeking out financial peace in their lives. God, may they um, go online and check out how they can get involved in financial peace coming up after the end of the year and in the new year. And God, I pray for those who are here today and um, they know that there's an area of obedience that they need to follow in, God. And you've revealed that and all they need to do is just walk in that. And God, I pray that you would give them the courage and the strength um, to do what you're asking them to do. But God, I also pray for those who walked in here today. And God, they're like me many years ago. Every time they think about their financial life, um, they break out in a cold sweat. Their palms get sweaty and their heart starts beating a little bit faster. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that right now in this moment that you would end their fear. God, that you would miraculously take that away because they're approaching you with an open heart and open hands. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would just allow them to let go and let you take control of their financial life. God, I pray that you would provide in every way like you promise us that you'll do. And I pray that we would test you in this area and that we would believe you for the results. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.